Exciting. You know, we're now in September, which means that officially soon the seasons are going to change. Which, in California, really, there are only two seasons. But the the idea, the theory of seasons in California, right, is going to change. This is an especially interesting time in my house because we don't really go by the calendar seasons. You see, fall comes when my wife gets the update on her Starbucks app that the pumpkin spice latte is back. (laughs) Fall has started. And every year it gets pushed back a little bit deeper into the beginning of August. You're like, why? It's July. Why do we have pumpkins for... Pumpkin spice lattes. You know, she gets the app. She gets all excited. She gives me the every year, like without fail, she gives me this look. Do you know what today is? Is it here? It's here. And it's like whatever we're doing, we drive and we got to go get a pumpkin spice latte. But what's interesting to me is now this has signified really the beginning of my favorite holiday season. Football season. Thank you. Yeah, the beginning. Today is the very first Sunday of the NFL 2018 regular season. And so I I do want to just, I want to issue a challenge right now to all the brothers in our fantasy league. Put your phone on airplane mode. I see you. I see you looking down every now and then. I'm going to know who you are. This is a great point. Dang it. Let's put our phones on airplane mode here. You know, we are, like Scott said, we're starting a new series for the next couple weeks called Unlikely Heroes. This idea that God can and will and does use the most unlikely, ordinary men and women to have tremendous impact and to do incredible things. We're going to be looking at some of these lesser known figures in the Bible that maybe if you you haven't spent several years reading your Bible, if you're jumping into it for the first time, you're going to go... Okay, who is that? David, I've heard of him. Daniel, sure. Moses. But what about this guy? Aeneas. What, that, is that how I say it? An, Ananias? What, what is, who is this guy? Is he the guy who died when he didn't give his offering? By the way, if you're offering, you might die. <laughs> no, it's not him. Okay, well, what is happening here? You know, the tagline of this series is, Be the hero your world needs. And it reminds me a lot of Acts chapter 17. If you guys will turn there with me. In Acts chapter 17, in verse 26, the Bible reads, From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. You know, to me, this is one of the most inspirational scriptures in the New Testament. Because what this means is that God shows exactly the time and place that you are going to live. It wasn't like 400 years ago, you weren't born in the Middle Ages. It wasn't 300 years in the future when cars will hopefully finally be flying. God chose and orchestrated that you would live in exactly the time you do, in exactly the city you do, that you would be sitting in the chair that you are this morning because he wants to have a relationship with you. And he wanted to give you that chance and that option to perhaps reach out for him. 
And what's so incredible about that is that also means that you have your own little world. That there are people in your life that have been placed there just like you've been placed. That you might reach out to them. People that, if it were left up to anyone else, they would never be reached. I will never know and be able to reach out to all the people that Mike Montano will. That is his world. If he doesn't reach out to them, or if we don't reach out to the people in our world, we may be their only shot. And you may be sitting here this morning going, Okay, this is my first time to church, and I just joined the rebellion, and you told me that I need to go single-handedly destroy the Death Star. So I'm feeling a little overwhelmed here, feeling like maybe this is a tall order for the first five minutes of service. But this is what God calls us to be. And I don't know where you are this morning in your life. I don't know where you are in, in what you think about God or who you think he is or what you think he's about whether or not you even want to know anything about God. And regardless of whether or not you do, God has a plan for your life to achieve the impossible. God has a plan for you to become and do the unimaginable. Things that in your mind seem so far out of the realm of possibility. But to God, that's the script. And so my hope is that over the next couple weeks, as we're looking at these unlikely heroes and their stories and their responses, which were so similar to ours, that it will give you the faith. It will give you the inspiration to be able to see your life the way that God does and to have a dream and a desire to do the impossible with God. Turn with me to Acts chapter nine. This morning, we are going to be looking at a man named Ananias who shows up in the Bible for a grand total, a whopping 24 verses. He does not have a book named after him. He has, certainly has no statues resembling him anywhere in the earth. But who we're going to get a chance to look to and learn from this morning. Because those 24 verses left a legacy that has survived for thousands of years and continues to thrive. Previously in the book of Acts. Right? It's like a comic book. Previously, on Unlikely Heroes. Right? In Acts chapter 7, we got the first martyr of the church, Stephen. And the church is scattered, and there's all kinds of persecution, and we're introduced to one of the villains in the book of Acts. A man by the name of Saul. In Acts chapter 7, in verse 59, we get a little taste of Saul. It says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep and Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Talking about lesson, Ananias. Right, we get introduced to this guy, Saul of Tarsus. And these were the things that get said about him early on as we get to know him. 
he approved of their killing him. He began to destroy the church. And in the beginning of Acts chapter 9, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. This Saul wasn't a good guy. And the worst thing was he wasn't like a crazy person. Right? He wasn't like a psychopath or like a serial killer or like, you know, you think like, well, how is that a good thing? That, that's pretty awful. But no, he was a zealot. The worst thing in this situation about Saul was that he loved God and genuinely believed that he was doing God a service by ridding the earth of these blasphemers. He had conviction and he was methodical. This was a bad situation. This, this was a terrifying villain to the early Christians. My first point today, if we are going to be the heroes our world needs, is we've got to have the faith to listen. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, here we go, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus Named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument. To proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. This is an incredible passage. So Ananias is here spending time with God. I don't know if he was maybe reading the scriptures, getting some time to pray, and he gets hit with a vision. Now you'd think, man, okay, a vision from God. This is inspiring. God is going to give me some kind of revelation. He's going to tell me, give me a look into the future, right? I'm thinking of the prophets and man, they saw incredible things. They got to look on the face of God without dying. Wow, this is awesome. And so God starts giving him instruction. Okay, this is what I need you to do. Uh huh. I need you to go to the house of Judas. Okay, yeah, I know where that is on Straight Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's right next to the, the other street, not Straight Street. Okay, yeah, got it. 
And I need you to go in there. Okay. I need you to put your hands on this guy from Tarsus. Okay. His name is Saul. Uh huh. You know, he's having a vision right now, just like you are. And, you know, you're going to go and restore his sight. Uh huh. Yeah. So the, so the only thing is. What? <laughs> right. You can just imagine like Ananias sitting there in a vision. Kind of like, OK. Maybe I fell asleep. Maybe my maybe I was a little tired when I prayed. And I'm sleeping. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like running through, okay, all the options of what could be happening right now. Because surely God is not telling me to go to a house with the Christian murderer in it and share my faith with him. Because that just sounds like ludicrous. Like what? What is that? Right? And so you have Ananias here kind of wondering, wrestling, and, and probably having this perspective like, God, I'm not going to lie. This sounds like the worst plan Ever in the world. I mean, I know Gideon and the breaking jars. That was bad. This this might be worse. I'm, I'm not sure. You know, luckily, though, God wasn't asking for Ananias opinion. It was go. It was go and do. But this can be our attitude when it comes to God giving us commands that we're not all on board with. You know, I, I studied the Bible with a guy at Santa Monica College when when Olivia and I were in the West. Tall, attractive Nigerian brother, built. He was on the track team. And we started studying the Bible. We'd been studying for about a month, and, and he was done. He was fed up. He was like, God, man, I, I can't do this. Like the lifestyle that you're asking me to live, to leave behind kind of the way that I've been living my whole life, to leave behind these things that, yeah, okay, maybe that's sin, but I kind of enjoy it. Like the, what you're asking me to do completely change my life is just too much. I'm not. I'm, I'm out. And so we didn't see him for close to a year. We would see him randomly on campus, but so he's walking around. So one day, I'm back on campus, and I start talking to him because he had come to our Bible talk, like our, our on-campus little Bible discussion, and was talking to some of the brothers and had said, you know, I want to start studying the Bible again. Okay. Um, what, I mean, what's different? What do you feel like? What's different now? Because Bible hasn't changed. Like, we're, those conversations are very much going to be very similar. It's not like an update to the Bible that maybe you were waiting for. And he goes, you know what? For the last almost year, I literally cannot get out of my head the things that we studied. Like, I keep, at, at different times, I just keep remembering these scriptures and as different things have happened to me over this past year, that life that I initially thought I wanted no part of, it just keeps coming back. Like I keep hearing this voice, you could be a disciple right now. Like when this thing would happen to me, like it would just kind of hit me out of nowhere, like it didn't have to be this way. And he goes, and I just kept hearing it over and over and over. And finally, I, I feel like I just need to do this thing. And it's incredible when you have the faith to listen. You know, I look at Ananias, and you can go, man, it doesn't take faith to listen. But Ananias didn't turn God down right away, right? He didn't necessarily initially, like, jump for joy and agree. 
But there wasn't like a spirit of I'm done. I'm just dismissing what you're saying, God. I'm not going to do this. Right. And we've seen this before in the Bible with a little bit more famous character, Jonah. Right. God came to him with this impossible task. And his reaction was to immediately flee. Like, God, I'm done. I don't want this. He was unwilling to engage with God, unwilling to listen and to be convinced by what God was trying to tell him. And with Ananias, we see a completely different spirit. He does go there. God, this guy is he's killing Christians. But he was willing to engage with God, to wrestle with his heart. Go, this man is my chosen instrument. My plan for him is more than your fear. You need to get over it because this is going to eventually be really, really good. And he stayed engaged in the pocket. You know, God is asking us today, do you have enough faith to just listen? To listen to what God is trying to tell you. Because Jesus doesn't pull his punches. It does take faith to listen to what God says. There are some hard things in the Bible. If you grew up thinking that Jesus was just going to hold sheep with his fingers doing a weird, weird finger thing and just be fluffy and loving all the time, loving all the time, you were right. The fluffiness, not so right. The Bible has some very challenging passages in it. We're called to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. Luke 9. Anyone who loves their father or mother, brother or sister, wife, children, even yourself. More than God, you are not worthy of me. Matthew chapter 10. Those who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. I mean, those aren't fluffy passages. Those are punch you in the mouth passages. Where you've got to wrestle in your heart with what God is trying to tell you. You've got to wrestle in your heart with, well, I'm being called to this. I'm being called to make a decision. And what's so encouraging is that it's not as though you had to make that decision by yourself. As though it depended all on you, right? God, with Ananias, he worked with his heart. You know, when you read the story of Jonah, eventually Jonah had the faith to listen. And God was able to work with his heart and get him to the place that he needed to be. You know, I love when, when biblical kind of situations are lived out in movies or when there are examples that you can kind of see. And I was watching uh, this wonderful piece of cinema the other, you know, a couple days ago, Fast Five. Academy Award nominee, Fast and the Furious, Chapter Five. They're on like Fast Nine or Twelve. I don't know now. And Fast Five. And, and in Fast Five, there's this Academy Award winning actor, Tyrese Gibson. And in, there's a moment when, you know, Vin Diesel in his mumble growl is outlining the plan to his crew. He's got his crew of, like, car thieves, right? And they're all hanging out. And the plan is we're going to steal all this money from this drug lord who owns Brazil. We're going to get through all of his cops using sophisticated turning techniques and their guns. And we're not going to have guns. And we're going to steal this giant safe locked down in this fortress-like police station somehow. And no one's going to know we did it. And Tyrese, in a moment of real movie realism, goes, this is not Mission Impossible. This is Mission Insanity. Like, I'm out. This is, ridiculous. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And he starts walking away. And Vin Diesel, 
doesn't, you know, doesn't look after him. He just does one of those like really cool guy moments where he just kind of mumble growls, hundred million dollars. And you see Tyrese, the reaction is instantaneous. It's, I'm sorry, what was that? Because suddenly Tyrese had a reason to listen, right? hundred million dollars, that might be taking a few bullets for, I don't know. And so the movie totally shifts and everyone's like, oh, we're all bought in now. Even if we die, we want a hundred million dollars. And right. But there's this motivation to listen. Now, God doesn't promise you a hundred million dollars when you become a disciple. That would be neat. But I don't think we ask ourselves enough what it would take for you to listen. Sometimes we think like, oh, yeah, I'll listen when God calls. That'll be it'll be really convenient when he calls me like it was for everyone else in the Bible. Or or there's a sense of, well, if or what. But we don't ever ask ourselves, man, what would it take for me to listen to God calling me? Would I be willing? Would I answer that call? What would it take for me to wrestle with God and to engage on a heart level? What fears would I need to put aside? Maybe my fear of failure. Maybe my fear of being let down by people. What bad church experiences would you need to push aside or push through to listen to what God was trying to say? What misconceptions might need to be adjusted in order to listen to what God is trying to tell you? God doesn't have $100 million for you. His promises are so much more incredible. And just a few, I mean, Jeremiah 29, for he has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. 1 Corinthians 10, he will make a way out of every challenge that's too much for you to bear. 2 Corinthians 5, he will make you completely new. Everything about you. Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. In Mark chapter 10, anything you sacrifice for me, I will not fail to pay back a hundred times as much. I mean, this is five out of hundreds of promises that God made. Which of those do we need to hold on to today to hear what God is trying to say? I remember for me studying the Bible, I needed to hear that I wasn't going to be like the rest of my family. But my family for generations, five generations back on each side, there's been infidelity and divorce. There has not been, for five generations, so ten combined total family generations, there's not been a single marriage that's lasted. Every single child in my family has experienced divorce. My sister and I included. I needed to know, I needed God to promise me that I wasn't going to be like that. I had so many fears of commitment, of a family, of ever being in a relationship or ever being married one day because I was afraid that I was just going to carry on the family tradition and that that was who I was going to be. I needed to know that God was going to promise me a purpose, that it wasn't just, cool, you're a Christian now, You've got 60 years to twiddle your thumbs and kind of join a club or something. 
I needed to know that my life was going to mean something. That there was going to be a purpose, a fulfillment to the things that I did and to the person that God wanted me to be. But what about you? What do you need God to promise you this morning in order to listen? If you're studying the Bible right now, or if you've ever studied in the past, what was it that pulled you up short? Is it the same today? Have you moved through it? Have you grown in it? Do you need that promise to push through? What was the one thing that maybe you were unwilling to hear, but that you need to hear? Think about that. We've got to have the faith to listen to what God is trying to tell us, to stay engaged on that level. And once we have that, Point number two, we need to have the courage to obey. You've got Ananias. He's got his heart there, maybe. But now he's got to go do it, right? Getting your heart behind it, feeling good about it. We can say, oh, bro, I feel great about that. Okay, go do it. Uh, The go do is always like where rubber really hits the road. Are you really feeling good about it? Good enough to like go. Or was it good enough to sit? I feel great about that. I'm glad you do. Go do something now. Go make a move. God calls him to what seems like a really bad idea. Go hate with the go share with the Christian hater. And you've got to think, okay, as he walked down the street, straight street, to get to that guy's house, like what was going through his head? Right? You know when you when he probably was reached out to or studied the scriptures when someone sat down and explained to him what it meant to have a relationship with God, to follow Jesus. They had to talk about giving up everything. You know they did. They had to talk about, okay, if you, if you want to do this, this is, there's a good chance you're going to face some persecution. You've got to be willing to give up everything. You've got to give up control of your finances. You've got to give up what you wanted to do with your life, control of your life. You've got to be willing to give up your life. And during this time, that was a very real possibility. And then all of a sudden, right, this persecution breaks out in the whole church. And now, even in his own city, there's probably a sense of, man, I don't, you know, there's a real buzz of persecution going around. But when you're actually walking to the house, what do you think is going through his mind? Man, is this this my time? Maybe I reach out to this guy and he says no, and I'm thrown into prison and tortured and killed. Like, is this the last walk down straight street I ever make? Did I say goodbye to my family before I went to share my faith with this guy? And you've got to think all these thoughts are going through this head. Is this the end? Is this going to be it? You know, part for us, counting the cost has got to be, am I willing to give up everything? If you're a baptized disciple of Jesus, you said that. And maybe the threat of death here in America, obviously, is much less. But I think in a very real way, it's a lot more deadly. It's the quiet threat of not giving up everything. The quiet threat the subtle threat of comfort. 
of not being faced with black and white, you might die for your faith, that keeps you sharp. But the slow erosion over time that maybe has some of us avoiding straight street in our own lives and walking far away from the house with Saul in it. Because that sounds really good when you're studying the Bible. It sounds really epic. Are you willing to give up everything? Yes. I'm willing to walk away from my whole life. It's like, that, like that's inspiring. And it's incredible to hear that we have some people who are going to get baptized today who are walking away from that old life. Amen? That's incredible. But for those of us who are Christians, who have been Christians for a little bit longer, you've got to ask yourself, has it gotten easier to walk away from that old life the longer you've been a Christian? Or has it gotten harder? Has it been easier to give things up? Or has it become more challenging because you find yourself holding on to some things tighter and tighter and tighter? Where are we at when it comes to obeying this passage? To being willing to embrace what God is telling us, having the courage to obey. You know, it's funny. I had a brother tell me one time, because he was asking me, you know, bro, are, are you willing to do this? I said, yeah, I feel great about that. Like, this is awesome. And, and I came back later, and I was getting some input from him, and it was a different situation. It was something I really didn't want to do. And I thought that I was just, bro, this is just one of those situations where, you know, I'm just not able. And he said, bro, you know what? Submission isn't being humble when you feel really good about it. Submission is being humble and obeying when you don't want to do it. That's what submission is. And I was, I was blown away. I realized it's true. It's easy to agree with things, to be humble to things that we're already wanting to do or already living out. The harder part is will you obey when you don't want to do it? When everything in you wants to resist or go the other way or just give it to somebody else? Whether it's a responsibility, a challenge, a hardship. In Hebrews 5, 7, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Submission is breaking off of that relationship that you know is pulling you away from God. Submission is taking a a stand at your job when they won't give you the days off that the body meets together. Submission is being the first one to apologize to your spouse, even when you didn't do anything wrong. And it's fighting for resolution when you're a conflict avoider. That is submission. That is obedience. The courage to obey. How is our obedience doing today? You know, I don't know what that walk to Judah's house on Straight Street looked like. But when Ananias got there, the shining moment, if you guys will turn with me to Acts chapter 22 and verse 12, was when his heart was ready. In Acts 22, 12, this is Paul years later retelling the story. It says, a man named Ananias came to see me. 
He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. By the time by the time Ananias got to that house, man, he was full of zeal. And he didn't lay hands on Paul half-heartedly. It was wholehearted with conviction and vision. Right? This was Paul's perspective. Think about this. Whatever Ananias was maybe feeling internally showing up to that house, the anxiety, the fear, man, Paul remembered his words. He laid hands on me and cast a vision. And you've got to think, In the same way that we remember, right, when you're going through a hard time in your life, you remember those conversations. You remember those moments maybe leading up to your baptism or conversations when someone was there with you in suffering and gave you the words, strengthened you in your relationship with God to get through that time. You've got to think, man, when Paul was sitting in prison or maybe floating on a board when his ship was destroyed at the end of Acts, how many times do you think he looked back? On these moments and thought back, maybe even on Ananias word, he has chosen you. Paul, you've been chosen. You will be his witness. What are you waiting for? I mean, that's incredible to think the impact that he had. You know, Ananias appears. I actually calculated it out. The, the 24 scriptures that he in makes up ex- almost exactly 0.08% of the Bible. 0.08. That was his, his contribution, his investment in the Bible, his story that God put together in there. And yet, the little chunk that he's in, he shared his faith with, laid hands on, and baptized Paul. Who, roughly speaking, wrote 28% of the New Testament. Right? That passage in Mark where it said even 100 times, that's 350 times the investment that Ananias made, the contribution from 24 verses to 28 books. 28%, I should say, not books. I mean, that's incredible. God used this 0.08% and did so much with it. How much more would God do in the Santa Clarita Valley and worldwide with all of us? I mean, can you you imagine just for one second if every single person in this room had the faith to listen and the courage to obey, like Ananias did, for just one week? Not, not staggered weeks. Let's just say we all left, and starting tomorrow, we had Ananias spirit for a solid week as a church. Can you imagine when we met up here next week, the good news? Nathan would be up here for like hours sharing announcements and good news. People who are getting baptized, victories over sin. I mean, it would be incredible. 
for just a week, let alone a lifetime. Think of the scary moments in your life, the moments that you want to run away from. Even right now, how many of those are Paul's in the waiting? Ananias converted one guy that we know of. And maybe that was all he did. But man, that was enough. (laughs) Think about the impact of his legacy, Paul. I mean, that's incredible. How many Pauls are waiting in our lives for us to have the courage to obey? If you're studying the Bible today, I want to challenge you to listen to what God is telling you through the scriptures and to courageously obey. Remember God's promises. Whatever it is that you feel like, man, this is the one thing that I'm unwilling to hear. Humble yourself. Ask, hey, is there a prom- is there a promise for this? This is the one thing. Is there a promise for that? You might be surprised to find five or ten. Listen and obey. Don't leave today without setting up the next time that you can get into the Bible and make a transformation. This guy went from being the greatest persecutor of the church to being its greatest evangelist in three days. What about you? And to all the disciples in the room, what is the one thing that God has been putting on your heart that maybe you've been dodging? You've been doing a little Jonah action and you've been fleeing. Whether it was in the fellowship, evading certain brothers, certain sisters, whether it was, trying, oh, no, now's not the right time. What's the one thing? Make a decision today to courageously obey. Go and do that thing. There's a very good chance that there's a Paul-like moment waiting at the end for God to just blow your mind and to do the impossible, to do the unimaginable. Face it head on today. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's the lesson for today.